Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to the Health Simple Show. I'm your host, Kyle Reedhead, and I interview health and wellness experts from around the world to help you live healthy, happy, and stress-free. Enjoy the next show. Dr. Cameron Marshall is the president and CEO of a company called Complete Concussion Management, uh, which is, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about what this company is uh, kind of the later part of the show. But basically, they're a global network of specially trained practitioners who work with sports and schools uh, and patients to help uh, manage their injuries and help make sure that the right policies and procedures are in place, um, which is quite important these days. So on top of that, he's also a uh, director, a board member, sorry, of the, of the Brain Injury Association of Canada. He's a published concussion researcher uh, and a keynote speaker at many conferences, uh, I guess globally now we can say. So that's... Uh, Pretty cool. Kudos to you. <laughs> now, if you've ever heard Cam speak, because he, he does present quite often, uh, the information that he presents is, um, you know, it's something that's really important. It's something that you've probably never really heard before, uh, and it's relevant to a lot of people. Uh, so I'm pumped to get him in here on the show today and share that kind of with you guys. So if you don't mind, Cam, we're going to just pick apart your brain today. How's that sound? Yeah, I'm down. Cool. And if anyone else has questions, feel free to, to ask, ask as we go on here. Um, but for those listening, if you feel like you don't know much about concussion, uh, you're not alone. Uh, from what I understand, concussion is not something that really those in the medical community or the healthcare community know much of either, do they? Um, no, and actually there's been a few studies on this looking at uh, the level of education in various health curriculums. And uh, for the most part, it's pretty limited. Um, the studies that have been done so far mostly have been in Canadian hospital settings, uh, family care, uh, sports medicine, uh, ER, things like that. And, and most of the research basically has found that in the majority of medical schools in Canada uh, and the couple studies that have been done in the U.S., they found that concussion is extremely limited in terms of the amount that's covered uh, in health curriculums. And so the majority of medical practitioners and healthcare practitioners in the field, unfortunately, have a pretty limited knowledge uh, base when it comes to concussion. Uh, one of the studies that comes to mind, they looked at primary care uh, physicians um, dealing with pediatric populations, and they found that, that about 30% only uh, understood the steps to properly return an athlete back to school uh, or sport. And so, I mean, that's, that's a very, you know, small amount considering kind of the proliferation of these injuries, right? So, yeah. So how did you get all your knowledge of concussion? Where does that come from? <laughs> uh, interest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I did my sport med fellowship uh, and it's a, like a two year postdoc fellowship in sports medicine. And it was, and the whole idea um, of the residency program is to gain field knowledge, clinical knowledge, but also research knowledge. And so you have to do research in an original field. And the topic of concussion was pretty prevalent uh, for those Canadians that are tuning in. Um, this was right around the time of Sidney Crosby's injury uh, that I started getting really interested in concussion. You know, why do concussions recover very quickly for some people? You know, why do they take so long for others? And um, you know, what's going on inside the brain and, you know, what can we do uh, as, you know, uh, 
various healthcare professionals, how can we kind of help these, these people out? And so that became kind of my knowledge base. It became my entire thesis. And so I just really dove into the research and kind of picked it all apart and um, got to a point now where, um, you know, we're just constantly kind of putting it all together on a month by month basis. And there's just, it's just exploded now. So uh, it's yeah. kind of hard to keep up with. Why do you think that uh, concussion isn't in curriculums for medical schools or healthcare, um, other healthcare curriculums? Oh, I mean, I think it's, I think it's getting there. I think that, you know, right now, um, is kind of now we've realized like, Oh shit, there's something to this. And, yeah. you know, historically what we've done is we've kind of blown it off as this kind of nothing injury, you know, Oh, you got your bell rung, just, you know, skate it off or, or, you know, like just kind of take a lap, you'll be fine. And uh, we're now realizing that actually, you know, there's there's something to these injuries. And uh, so we're kind of behind the gun, I think, on getting going on it. But I think that it is improving now. I mean, you're starting to see more and more conferences happening and then more and more people trying to put this into various health curriculums, whether it be, you know, physio, medicine, whatever. Yeah. So let's talk about what we do know then. Um, why don't you explain for, for those of us that are listening, what a concussion even is? Cause I feel like that in itself tends to be kind of confused. <laughs> uh, that's a, it's a, it's an easy question, but it's also a difficult question. So you can sum it up pretty, pretty easily as saying, uh, a concussion is a brain injury. It is, uh, what's called a mild traumatic brain injury. And so if you look at the spectrum of brain injury, you can have mild brain injury, moderate brain injury, severe brain injury. If you think about severe brain injuries, those are people that are in a coma um, and are basically in the hospital fighting for their lives uh, and, you know, are potentially unconscious throughout. Mild traumatic brain injury, on the other hand, is people may never lose consciousness or they may lose consciousness for a brief period of time. And what happens when a concussion happens is, well, people used to think it was the brain that hit the inside of the skull and it created kind of a bruising of the brain. And what we now know is that what actually happens is the brain tissue kind of gets stretched. And when that stretch happens, uh, it stimulates the brain cells. It creates this excitation uh, type of thing. So if you were to, um, you know, think of it as almost uh, some sort of, stimulation that, that hits something and it goes into a bit of a spasm and the brain kind of starts sending out these electrical signals that happen throughout the brain. And so um, it very, very kind of simply put is it's a disruption of brain cells that's very temporary. Uh -huh. After, Sorry, uh, go on. Yeah. After that kind of electrical storm happens within the brain, the second phase of this injury is a big drop in energy. Uh, levels within kind of the brain tissue and the brain cells. And so um, it's after a while that will come back up, but essentially in the acute early phases, concussion is uh, an excitatory thing where there's all sorts of electricity going on within the brain itself. And then kind of more in the longer term effect, it's actually, it creates this energy deficit, uh, which lasts for, you know, three to three to six weeks or so. Three, six weeks. So what kind of symptoms are we looking at for someone with a concussion? You said loss of consciousness, but they don't have to. Right. What else is there? So actually, uh, less than 90% of patients will lose consciousness with concussion. So one of those things is that they, you know, a lot of, of, of coaches even on the sideline will think, well, my player didn't get knocked out, therefore they don't have a concussion. But that's actually not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to lose consciousness. 
So for the concussion symptoms, there's 22 main symptoms of concussion, uh, and they can range anywhere from headache to uh, sleep difficulties, uh, memory impairments, uh, blurred vision, uh, fogginess, kind of mental fogginess, balance impairments, um, confusion, concentration difficulties, all sorts of different things, uh, which can make concussion very difficult to determine uh, because a lot of these things are what we call they're not they're not specific to concussion. A lot of things can cause these symptoms, and so it then becomes a bit difficult to try and uh, pinpoint you know whether or not a concussion has occurred. How do you tell them? Is there is there a way? Is there like a? I mean, you hear a lot about blood tests, saliva tests. How do you tell if you had a concussion? Yeah. So I mean, the 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 basic idea right now is that it's still a clinical diagnosis. So a lot of the blood tests and things like that, I think there's still research tools, but there's still a lot that needs to be kind of flushed out because there's there's other things like other injuries that can cause a jump in some of those blood measures, and so that can create some confusion. And so I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done kind of in the blood testing realm. But what we're at right now in terms of making a diagnosis of concussion is essentially you need the two things. You need one is you need a mechanism of injury. So you need acceleration uh, of the head and brain. So, you know, and you don't even have to be hit in the head. So if you get hit in the body and there's enough force that transmits up through your body and you get this whiplash type mechanism that happens, your brain is moving around inside your skull. And so that would be considered a mechanism of injury. So that is your, um, your, your, your first criteria. The second one is you have to have any one of those 22 symptoms. So you only need one of them. Uh, it could just be a headache, or it could be 10 of them, or it could be five of them. It doesn't really uh, matter. But so for those people who are parents or coaches or things like that, if you're on the sidelines and you know, a kid gets hit and you see, oh, wow, that was a hit, right? Watch them and watch them come off and ask them how they're feeling. And if they report any dizziness, any blurred vision, a headache, even just slight, that's it. That's enough to consider that to be a concussion and pull that person um, out of the game. When in doubt, set them out. That's what they say, right? That's the saying. That's the <laughs> saying. You, you talk about the head kind of jostling inside, uh, or sorry, the brain jostling inside of the head. So when you, when you think about kind of the, that mechanism, is a helmet or, or mouth guards, or is there anything that are going to prevent these injuries, or how do those play a role? Um, unfortunately, the, no. Uh, all the research that's been done in this area looking at helmets um, have found that helmets don't really offer a protective effect against concussion. Helmets are designed to prevent skull fractures. And if you can think about this, if you have something around your head and something hits you in the side of the head, well, the helmet will help to spread that force out a little bit so it's not hitting in such a small area. If it were mm -hmm. to hit your skull directly, it could crack your skull. But having that helmet allows that force to dissipate around and, and, and prevent that skull from, from fracturing. However, the head underneath the helmet is still going to have that whipping motion back and forth if the force is sufficient. So unfortunately, helmets haven't really stood up um, to research scrutiny, looking at whether or not, you know, they can prevent a concussion or at least reduce the likelihood of concussion has found that no, they can't. Um, and then when you look at mouth guards, again, you find the same thing. So, uh, and actually there was a really large review that was just done of all the research in this area. Uh, and they found that it was basically inconclusive when it came to mouth guards, but for the, for 
for most of the studies have shown uh, little to no effect for mouth guard usage preventing concussion. So you got, you got two sports, rugby and football. One wears helmets, one does not. Which one's safer? <laughs> well, uh, it's so, well, I'm actually looking at a study right now. Here's, here's a study for you right here. Top concussion sports in youth, so for 18 years and under, right? And this is not looking at overall number of concussions because if you were just to look at the United States, you would, you would automatically go with football being yeah. worse for people than anything else. But actually, uh, rugby has the highest incidence of concussion. And the way that they determine this is by either hours played or, or practices played um, or uh, what they call athlete exposure. So the amount of time an athlete steps onto the field for a practice or a game would be one athlete exposure. And so what I'm looking at right now is uh, this was a systematic review done in 2015, but uh, rugby was the top, ice hockey was second, American football was third. Uh, there was just another one done here. Let me just pull, pull it up. So here's so, highest here's highest sports in in team sports. Uh, this is for high school, college, uh, and and professional levels. Again, men's rugby is the highest, and then men's American football is the second highest, followed by women's ice hockey and men's ice hockey. Uh, wow. Yeah. Now, football, you have more of I think the the lighter hits happening kind of every single play. Is that, I mean, you hear a bit about that. Is that an issue? Is that something people should be worried about? So what they call that actually is, is called subconcussive impacts. Uh, and, and that means that the, you're getting hit in the head, but it's not enough force to cause the concussion to actually take place. But there's some speculation that maybe all the little hits that we're taking over time can add up and eventually create, you know, damage. Uh, again, I think that so far... Um, the research is pretty limited on that, and it's a bit mixed. Um, there's some people that are full on in the camp that believe that you know football, if you know, even if you're not getting concussed, is still harmful. Uh, but when you actually scrutinize the research, there isn't really a lot of good research to support the idea of subconcussive uh, impacts. I mean, the way that I look at it, from everything that I've done in terms of my kind of research and, and review of all, everything else that's been published. Uh, I look at this as, as if there's almost a spectrum of, of what an injury is. So, you know, you have your subconcussive impacts way down here. And then, you know, then you get into kind of this concussion range. And then you get into the moderate, you know, severe brain injuries, those types of things. But down in this kind of lower uh, area, you're below the threshold for, for concussion. And so is that really doing anything? I mean, if you look at, if I was to sit here and just tap my head like this. Yeah like over time, would that eventually create damage? Well, probably not. I mean, I might psychologically. Go, yeah, myself, I was going to say, you might like go a little crazy. How, <laughs> yeah, from how annoying I, I, it was. But it's, it's not enough to create, you know, injury. Same thing, if I'm going to tap on my arm, eventually, will my arm just break? Probably not, right? No. Like, so, so I think we have to look at it that way and say, okay, well, how much force are you taking? And I think once you get up close to that concussion realm, well, maybe there are people are suffering concussions, but maybe the symptoms are not in something that are easily perceived, right? Like, let's say if you get hit and your vision glows blurry, well, you're going to know that right away. But if yeah. you get hit in an area and, like, you know, it creates, um, like, mild memory issues and you don't even realize until you go to access that, 
you you may you may have actually had a concussion, but it may have been below you know a threshold for you to be able to actually perceive it. Yeah. So maybe that's the answer. I don't know. We're not. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So still more research needed, I guess. Yes, I would say for sure. Let's go back to the concussion itself. You mentioned briefly that it was three to six weeks for recovery. Mm. Talk about the recovery. I mean, some people last for you know years. You see. Mm. Um, some briefly, what's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? Yeah, that's what I was thinking as I said uh, that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, so as I said, you have this energy deficit that happens. So you get this electrical storm that happens and you get this energy drop that just kind of goes way, way, way down. And then that energy store starts to kind of build back up. And this is why we used to prescribe rest to people because we figured, well, it's an energy deficit. Let's put people, you know, make people rest. And we actually found out that, that rest is actually detrimental for people. And what they need is actually rehab. They need to be moving. They need to have some guided rehab. They need to be doing some vision exercises and some vestibular stuff. And they need to kind of use their brains in order to kind of help repair that. But anyway, they go through this, this low energy stage. And then they kind of slowly regain that energy back up to a point where they're back on to what we call, let's say, their baseline level where they're back up here. Okay. Uh, and so that process of recovery of that energy deficit is what I mean when, it, when I say that kind of three to six weeks. Now, people are different, right? So that's why there's a bit of a range here, and we don't fully know exactly what that range is. But most of the stuff that's been done looking at this, at these energy levels, has found that it's about um, up 22 to 45 days-ish, kind of somewhere uh, in, that, in that range. When and I, you ask you, you ask again about um, about persistent symptoms yeah. too, like why yeah. do some people not recover? Well, when that energy level gets low, I mean, yes, you're symptomatic, but generally people people start feeling better even before that energy level comes back up. So what we found is that symptoms don't necessarily correlate with that energy, you know, uh, level, and so even though people's symptoms may linger, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's due to a low energy level. So that energy level, you know, may have recovered, but other things can cause symptoms just like concussion can. And so that's, that's what I said before, where I said the symptoms of concussion are not specific to concussion, meaning there's a lot of other things that can cause the exact same symptoms as concussion can cause. And so a lot of times what happens is people assume that what they're experiencing is due to brain injury. But in fact, concussion stops being a brain injury very early on in the process. And what you're actually left with are, you know, the, the potential causes of these persistent symptoms. You have blood flow issues, right, which the treatment is guided exercise and rehabilitation. You have metabolic or inflammatory issues, which a lot of times is dietary issues that can help that. Um, you have vision or vestibular issues, which again comes down to your rehab. You have a neck injury that happens at the same time as you get concussion. So people will end up with a whiplash. Well, if you look at whiplash and concussion side by side, the symptoms are actually identical. You actually cannot tell the difference between a concussion and a whiplash at the time of injury or even thereafter. It makes it very difficult. So how many of these people that are having these persistent symptoms are dealing with an underlying neck injury that they got at the same time, but no one's ever addressed it, right? Yeah. And then fifth, you have kind of that psychological end where people are so, um, you know, when you put somebody in a dark room, which has historically been the treatment that we've been prescribing to people, um, it, it would, you know, create depression issues, 
um, which, which makes it really hard to kind of, um, you know, manage these injuries beyond that when they're, when they're already persistent, it's like, man, if I would have just seen you earlier <laughs> and, and now I don't have to underdo, uh, you know, undo all this stuff. So there's, I mean, commonly it was thought you rest. You're saying there's a lot of, of treatment that we can do. How, when do you start this treatment? Well, it depends on what you're, um, you know, what you're doing. I think that some stuff can start early on. Some stuff we don't have enough really good solid evidence yet to, uh, to, um, to start too, too early, but later on is fine. Uh, I mean, a lot of the research now that that's coming out looking at, let's say, uh, visual vestibular and treatments of the of the neck, like let's talk about your classic rehab. A lot of that shows that the best results are if you initiate that around 10 days, right? So 10 days after the injury, if you're still symptomatic and you're not receiving rehabilitation, you should be getting rehab. Uh, and that probably will turn out to be even earlier than 10 days, but all the, the research right now has been done kind of at that 10 day point. Because it's even hard to get this stuff approved by ethics. Because mm -hmm. ethics committees will look and say, well, the treatment is rest. And so we don't want to run a study where you're potentially going to be harming people by having them do activities. And mm -hmm. so it takes a long time for this research to emerge because even getting ethics approval to get somebody active when they have a concussion is very, very difficult. But now I think we're starting to see that earlier and earlier is more beneficial. And so we keep pushing that envelope. So right now we've got it down to about 10 days. Uh, in our program, we tend to start that stuff around day five, day six. Uh, so we're, we're a little bit earlier just because you can kind of see it coming. Um, exercise, uh, generally the recommendation is that, is that two weeks. That, used to, that was at a month first. They used to say, you know, if you're at a month and you're still symptomatic, well, then you can start exercising uh, in, a, in a controlled setting. But then they moved it to three weeks, and that was effective. And then they moved it to two weeks, and that was effective. Uh, and now, uh, you know, we're at, I'm, I'm at the kind of the 10-day mark. And uh, I think that, again, research is showing earlier and earlier and earlier. So um, it really depends on, you know, what you're doing. But for the most part, I think within that first, you know, uh, week to two weeks, uh, you should be initiating rehab for sure. Okay, cool. What about those who are, you know, happen to get multiple concussions? Is that a cause for concern? Um, does that make it worse? What's, what's going on with that? So we don't know fully um, what the risk of multiple concussions are. I mean, obviously the speculation is that it's bad, um, <laughs> but, but we don't actually, you know, know that for sure. And, and actually there's a few interesting studies that have been done on this. And, and what they found is that it's not necessarily the number of concussions you get, uh, but it may be kind of how close together the injuries are. And so there was some uh, most of the research in this area obviously is done using animals because we can't just take a human and, you know, say, okay, I want you to come in we're going to give you a concussion and then we're going <laughs> to give you another one at this time and that time and we're going to add it up. Um, but what they've done with these animal studies is that they'll give them a concussion and then they'll wait a certain amount of time. And remember that energy deficit, you know, that I was talking about where they hit that low and then they come back up to their kind of baseline levels. Well, in a, in a rat, that takes about five days to happen. So that's their recovery. Now in humans, like I said before, it's three to six weeks, right? But what we know is in that low phase, when the energy levels are really low, that's when the brain is extremely vulnerable. So if you get hit again and you're in that low state, that's when uh, you can potentially have like a multiple uh, impact scenario or second impact scenario where those two impacts can add up and actually create uh, a fatal occurrence 
or at the very least, uh, extremely, extremely prolonged recovery and potentially permanent damage. So the big thing you want to prevent with concussion is, is getting hit in that, in that energy low state when the brain is really vulnerable. So now if you take that five day period and you, you hit them at day five, well, those studies show that there is no additive or cumulative effect as long as they fully recovered out of that energy deficit and they get another hit, well, they just go through the same kind of five-day process again, right? So now if yeah. we extrapolate that to humans, right, and if we can look at that and say, okay, well, what happens if we get outside of that three- to six-week mark and they get another concussion? Is that going to be additive or cumulative? Or is that just going to be a second injury that, that is just its own unique injury and now you don't get this accumulation? Uh, and so when you look at the long-term effects, studies done, again, on animals – there was one in particular where they had, they had uh, four separate groups and group one got a concussion every single day for five straight days. I don't want to be that group. group. No, that's the group <laughs> you don't want to be in. Group, group two got a concussion every single week for five weeks. Group three got a concussion every single month for five months. So all groups got uh, the same number of concussions. They all got five. Uh, and then there was a group that didn't get any concussions, but they went through the same process where they still gave them the, 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 the anesthesia and knocked them out and went through the process, but they didn't, they didn't actually receive an impact. And so um, when they looked at the, the groups after these injuries, one month after that final concussion, the group that got a concussion every single day for five days was still impaired one month later. But the group that had a concussion every month for five months was not impaired uh, or was no, no different than the sham group. So even though they all had five injuries, because they were spaced out and the, and the one group had sufficient recovery between those injuries, there was no additive or cumulative effect. And so, again, it's all about not necessarily the number of concussions you get, but it's how far spaced out they are, right? And this, this is when you're talking with youth sport, this is exactly what you're trying to kind of get, get across to people to understand, especially those decision makers at that executive level or the coaches of teams, they need to realize that like concussions may not be as bad as what the media is making it out to be. But it's all about this recovery time. If we can get outside of this recovery time and make sure that things are properly recovering, properly healing, maybe we won't see that additive and cumulative effect of concussions. Maybe we won't see that long-term you know, damage uh, that happens. Well, and, I mean, if you're looking at, let's say, football, for example, I mean, they are, are going back, you know, they play once a week, which is seven days. And, I mean, you're talking that in humans, it's a three- to six-week recovery. So is the return to play just wrong in sport? Is that, is that where the issue lies? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly, you know, what the, what the issue is. And I think that a lot, of the, a lot of the issue is that professional sports is driving the protocols, Right. Yeah. A lot of the protocols that we're seeing and trying to extrapolate down to youth sport have been developed at the professional level. And so, you know, the NFL is obviously going to want their players playing every seven days. And so right now, the current return to pro play protocol is a six step process. So if you get injured on Sunday, you know, you can still play again the following Sunday. Right. And I think that's where, you know, you look at the NFL and, you, and I, I've said this before on other shows and podcasts, but like, does the NFL have a concussion problem? Or does the NFL have a concussion management problem, right? If we were to take care of those injuries at that level, would we end up with this long-term effect? Would we have the CTE? Would we have the dementia cases that we see, 
right? Or would, would we be fine, right? So Yeah, well, it makes complete sense. And so can you, is there a way to determine brain recovery? Because I mean, you said three to six weeks, that's a long, that's a big range. And I think a lot of people aren't going to want to go out for six weeks. Um, how do you know if someone's ready to go back? We can't even get them to willingly go out for seven. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. You, know, you tell them, you tell them it's going to be four to six weeks or three to six weeks. I don't think you're going to get many people complying with it, and I think that's where the issue lies. So, uh, I mean, what we currently have is the best, you know, way to do this or the best way to monitor is we need some objective measures. So we know that symptoms tend to go away around seven to ten days, but the brain takes that four to six weeks or whatever to recover, right? So you have this big range of, of time that passes between symptoms have gone away and but your brain is still not recovered and at a point where if you would get hit again, you'd be in big, big, big trouble, right? And I think that's the issue with concussion. And so we need some, some, some measures in order to be able to kind of determine, you know, when is that recovery point? And unfortunately, we haven't been able to find it in imaging. Uh, blood tests are still, you know, years and years out. Um, the best thing that we currently have is what's called a baseline test. And so uh, essentially what that is, if done correctly, because uh, a lot of people will do it that don't really have a good grasp on it, but what, it, what a baseline test is, is I measure your balance, I measure your reaction time, I measure your vision, I measure your um, cognitive abilities, your memory, your concentration. Uh, I look at postural sway on force plates and all these things, all these functional and cognitive thought process measures that we have. And we get all that from people when they're healthy. So before the season even happens, and you should do this probably every year just to have a good representation of where you're at. And what you should do is um, get all this stuff down and then as the season goes, if there's an injury that takes place during the season, then we know kind of where we're trying to get back to. Because a lot of times we don't know that the person has a balance impairment because we don't know where they started from. So mm -hmm. if we have all that information, what can really help us is now saying, okay, the symptoms have gone away. Great. Now, where are you at in terms of this? You know, because this person, this kid or this parent or whoever is going to be raring to go. They're going to want to go. Right, But if you can take them and say, hold on a second, your balance is still impaired, your reaction time is still slow, your vision is still off, you're not ready yet, we're going to hold you back a little bit longer. Right? So now we can get to that you know, safe zone where the injury now has officially kind of recovered. Right? We're not relying on symptoms, which is what most practitioners do, because like I said, there's not a really a lot of education. We don't really understand you know, at you know, the clinical level a lot of times a lot of the practitioners don't really have a good grasp on it, and so they're relying on symptoms. Oh, your symptoms are better. You know, you can go. And I think one way to think about this for people is like, if you've ever broken a bone, um, you know, it hurts, it hurts, right? It hurts really bad. You go to the hospital, they take an x-ray of it, right? Well, we don't have x-rays for your brain, so we need some way of being able to measure. Now, you put a cast on it, right? The pain from that injury will probably go away within about a week. Right? Same as concussion. The pain from that fracture is gone, yet you still have a cast on. Well, because the pain's gone, does your doctor say, oh, your pain's gone? Okay, well, let's cut the cast off and you can go play. Well, no. It's going to be four to six weeks, right? It's the yeah. same kind of thing, right? But what they'll do is they'll take x-rays of your arm throughout the recovery and finally look at it and say, okay, the bone has healed sufficiently for you to now take the cast off and go play. Okay? 
And with concussion, for some reason, we can't wrap our minds around this. And people are clearing people because they feel better. And I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. And so the, the x-rays and the MRIs and things like that that we have for soft tissue injuries, we don't have for brain injuries. And so this is why sports need to kind of step up and say, okay, we're going to make it a mandatory aspect of sports to say you have to have this done before you yeah. step on the field. You have to have your helmet on, right? You got to yeah. have all your gear. You can't, you can't go on the ice and say, you know what, I'm not wearing shoulder pads. I'm not wearing a bucket because I don't want to. Well, no, <laughs> the sports associations have stepped up and said, no, you wear a helmet playing hockey, you wear a helmet playing football, you wear shoulder pads playing football, right? You wear shin guards playing soccer, right? That's just, that's just the rules. And mm -hmm. now what they need to say is you also have to have this done before you step onto the pitch or onto the field or onto the ice. I mean, it makes complete sense. Is this something that like professional sports are doing or? Oh, oh, they've been doing this for years. Professional yeah. sports have been doing this for, you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, it's just that now at the, at the amateur levels, it's never really been, you know, available. And that's actually what complete concussion management, you know, does. This is what we do is we, we have a network of clinics that all have kind of training in this area um, to be able to administer this stuff, right? So there's uh, clinics all across Canada now getting into the U.S., uh, Australia, as well as the U.K., but that's what that, we set this up for this reason exactly because there isn't anything available for youth sports, right? The, the, at, at that professional level, they're going to have their team doctor. They're going to have their team trainers. They're going to have everything there, and they do this on an ongoing basis. They're always taking these, these measures, right? And, but there's, there was never anything for, you know, the youth athlete, the high schools, the, 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 the peewee football, that type of thing. And that's exactly, you know, what one of the things anyway that, that we do. So you talk about basic testing is one of the things. Is there more that you're doing? I mean, you talked about treatment. There's basic testing. Is there more that you're doing to make a decision? Or is this is the baseline the one thing that allows you to kind of decide when someone's ready to go back? No, I mean, it's the best, it's the best thing we have for sure. Uh, but there's other, there's other tools in the toolbox per se. I mean, um, one of the things that, that we do, we have some physical exertion tests. So um, one of the tests we use uh, to allow somebody to go back to non-contact practice, we have a treadmill test from, from the University of Buffalo called the Buffalo Concussion Treadmill Test. So that's kind of phase one of return to sport after they've gotten through the return back to school things. Um, and that's, that's kind of, you know, our first kind of checkpoint of saying, okay, we're going to test you, you know. You're starting to feel a little bit better now. Let's see how you react to some physical exertion. So we're actually looking at, we're, we're, we're examining blood flow to the brain because a lot of times that is impaired by quite a lot. And so we're trying to see if it's safe for them to return to their non-contact exercise. And once they've completed that successfully, then they can go back to, uh, to um, non-contact practice. Once they've done a couple of those practices, they come back in, we run them through what's called the Chicago Blackhawks test, which is another physical exertion test, but that one's more geared towards sports-specific activities. So they're doing a lot of jumping, a lot of turning. We're challenging the visual system. We're challenging the oculomotor and the, and the vestibular system and everything to try and see if they have any lingering effects of the concussion. If they pass that, then we bring them in and run them through that whole baseline battery that I described earlier. Um, and so if we don't have a baseline, we're simply relying on those other physical exertion measures we have. Um, those are, those are the next best thing that we can do. Uh, but having that baseline really, really changes, um, how effective, you know, a concussion program can be.
So without the baseline, you're essentially putting the athlete a bit at risk then to go back to sport, no? Yeah, in, in, in a way, yeah, for sure you are. I think you're, you're really, you're not sure. That's, I think, the issue is that you have, yeah. you don't have that same um, level of security or, um, um, I guess, re reassurance that yeah. everything is good. Uh, you're simply relying on uh, self-reported symptoms. I mean, you've done some physical exertion stuff, which I think is good. It can help to pick up some of the stuff that may be kind of lingering under the surface. But ultimately, I don't know how good that kid's balance is. I don't know how good their ocular motor tracking is. I don't know how good their memory or anything is. Uh, I can only go by what they tell me. And most of the time, kids are pretty motivated to get back to their sports. And they're not going to tell me shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. It's the truth. <laughs> Are there specific tests that you're doing? I mean, you named off, you know, balance. You said ocular motor. Are these, like, where does someone get these tests? Like, what are they exactly? Um, so there's a whole, there's a whole and bunch. Someone of just asked the same question. So yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> hi, Katie. This one's for you. Um, no, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of, of tests that are out there. And I think what we have to do um, is really take a look at all of them and really scrutinize each one of them. I know that a lot of people will use what's called the SCAT. Well, you know, the SCAT, for example, is, 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 is the sport concussion assessment tool. It's meant for sidelines. And so, you know, having a baseline on a SCAT is good as if you're a sideline therapist and you need to be able to pull somebody off or if you're, you know, a, a, a trainer and you need to pull somebody off and have some sort of, of, of comparison for them right on the sidelines. But the problem with the SCAT is that it actually normalizes three days after the injury, right? So if you are, um, you know, looking to make a return to play decision, like we said, like you really need something that's still going to show impairments between that three to six week mark to make sure that we're able to kind of pick these subtleties up. Well, the, the, the scat actually normalizes before the symptoms even go away. So it may be helpful for you on the sidelines to pick something up, but in terms of actually having something for a return to play, uh, the scat is pretty much useless. Um, things like postural sway, we use force plates. So we look at center pressure area uh, over a sustained 30-second uh, stance. And so we're looking at how much sway someone has in their actual balance. And we have this on a on an actual you know measure force plate and so that's something but if you look at kind of again back to the scat if you look at the clinical measure of balance that they have there again that normalizes three days after injury whereas the data on these force plates show that it actually shows impairments you know up to 30 days so that's more along the lines of what we're looking for uh there's other things like various neurocognitive tests are out there again those have some reliability issues, so they're not exactly kind of perfect. And a lot of people will just do, just do one of those neurocognitive tests and assume that, oh yeah, this is my baseline. You know, I did this, uh, I did this computer test. Well, where's your balance? Where's your reaction time? Where's your ocular motor stuff? Where's, uh, where's your auditory thing, right? Because all these computer tests are purely visual. Well, how are you testing the auditory memory and all that stuff? So it's, we, have, we have 11 different tests that we use uh, as part of our battery. And, um, and, and yeah, I think that you need to have something with a as valuable as a sideline measure. So we do use some components of the SCAT. You need also then tools that have good longevity. So we use some reaction time testing from the university of Michigan. We use, uh, we do use a King Devic test, which is an ocular motor screening test. Uh, we have the postural sway on force plates. We do some stuff around strength. Um, 
and what else? I'm forgetting some stuff probably. But anyway, yeah, so we have um, a full battery of tests that have, you know, good acute measurement, good test retest reliability, and also uh, good longevity for the injury to make sure that we're, we're using that. Yeah. So it sounds like there are a lot of assessments, a lot of different things you actually should be doing to return an athlete back to sport. Uh, just being in Canada, there's no way that my family doctor is going to do that for me. <laughs> so you, you talked a bit about, about your company, Complete Custom Management. Can you explain that further and how that works and, and how, you know, how people access that or, or just explain what that is, I guess. Yeah, so um, what Complete Concussion Management is, is a network. Uh, it used to be just in Canada, and we're now expanding it into the U.S. because we've had a lot of demand in the U.S. for, for something like this. But uh, what we are is uh, generally, I mean, I think the easiest way to look at it is if you think Airbnb for uh, concussions. So uh, we don't own the clinics, but we have a partnership with clinics in this area, sports medicine clinics, uh, rehab clinics, and we will come into a clinic and we'll train them on how to manage concussion. We'll give them all of the evidence and tools, uh, all the stuff we know in terms of the research, uh, and we train all of their practitioners so that they have kind of a good understanding of concussion, how the management process is supposed to go. Because like I said, it's not covered in medical schools and it's not covered in physiotherapy programs and it's not covered in other healthcare curriculums. And so uh, you have to rely on, on additional training uh, kind of post-graduation. And so that's what we do. We kind of fill that gap. And then once we have a clinic set up in an area, we have a uh, 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 concussion database system. So it's an electronic system that connects all the clinics together, and it actually stores people's data. Because right now when you do a baseline test, people will generally do everything on pen and paper, and they'll try to carry a stack of folders and papers with them to every single game that they're going to. Well, we just went digital with it. So all of the baseline stuff. So if we're working with a sports organization, you know, let's say uh, you have a local football club or you have a school that needs to get all their athletes tested, they'll pair up with the school or they'll pair up with the clinic, sorry. The clinic will go into that school or sports organization and it'll test all of their athletes on this full battery and then it will store all, all the information on, uh, on that digital system. And so now the coach and the trainer have access to a smartphone application. So rather than carrying around a binder full of, you know, scats and various things, they have all that information right on their phone. So they can actually report an injury now on an athlete on their team. And that injury report now goes to that clinic. So really what it is is it's specialized clinics all around that will work with sports organizations to set up their concussion policies, test all their athletes, uh, train all their coaches and therapists uh, and also give them access to a smartphone application, right? So that now we have this full communication line. So now when an injury gets reported in, let's say, football, it also then shows up on the hockey coaches app, the, the teachers app, the soccer coaches app. So now everyone involved with that athlete has a good understanding that this player has been concussed or at least has been reported. And then once the diagnosis is confirmed by the clinic, now they get full updates on that. So as the person's getting back to sport, everyone in that circle of care is kept in the loop. The coach knows exactly what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. Uh, every single coach they're involved with knows the same thing. The teacher knows what they can do in the classroom. And it's all controlled by a trained medical professional 
using their system. So it's it's a communication tool. Um, it's it's really it's everything. I mean, we're trying to fill all these gaps, and that's where the name Complete comes from. It's a complete concussion management program. So we'll come into a sports organization and we'll just set them up. We'll say, okay, your policy needs to have these things in place. This is this is the current level of research. Now here's we'll train your coaches so they all know everything that their job is. And then here's the system. Here's how we can help you to kind of keep track and digitize all of this and keep track of your players. It, it's summed up nicely in this comment here. Someone just said, thank goodness. <laughs> it's about time is what they said. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's amazing. And so th this has got to help. I mean, there's got to be a liability issue. You see it in the U.S. I mean, you hear about it in the, in the NFL, these lawsuits in the NCAA too. I think they just paid a huge payout um, to their athletes. It sounds like essentially what you're doing is taking a professional type program and throwing it into, you know, younger athletes, I guess, the ones that don't have it. That, that I mean, that actually used to be our slogan. Our, our slogan was, uh, um, you know, kind of the same level of care as, as, as the pros. And I think that's really what we need to start doing. Uh, actually, we try to be better than the pros, because as we mentioned before, I think a lot of them are are kind of, you know, sticking to that seven-day protocol and trying to do whatever they can to help get them back. And I think we have to be we have to be better, right? We're dealing with kids. We're dealing with vulnerability. We're dealing with brains. And we need to make sure that we can keep sports, right? Like, I mean, sports are under attack, I think, in, in a lot of ways. I think people are trying to ban football. I think people are trying to get rid of hockey. And we've already seen contact get, get kind of tossed out for, for a, a ton of athletes. Um, not necessarily a bad thing, but I still think that is, if we were taking care of these injuries appropriately and, and we had this kind of standardized protocol in place, um, I don't think we would see the level of, of issue that we, that we have right now. And I think that's really our mission is to provide that, that level of care. You know, when you don't have a team doctor, you know, that's our job. That's what we do. Yeah, that's cool. I see someone... Someone messaged in here and said, I have a card I carry with me from Complete Concussion Management. What's that? Hey. <laughs> awesome. There you go. Is that, must be a patient then that's seen in a, in a CCMI clinic, I assume? I don't know, yeah. <laughs> Where are you getting treatment? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, listen, um, there was another question that someone had earlier about vestibular system that I lost you. Do you, do you assess the vestibular system as well? I don't know if you want to answer a question for us. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so it depends. I mean, when you look at um, when you look at the vestibular system um, from from an injury standpoint, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, issues that can come up in the vestibular system following injury. Unfortunately, there aren't really a lot of um, good vestibular tests that could be run as a baseline because a lot of times people are either normal or abnormal, right? And so if you have, um, uh, like if you're doing some vestibular testing, a lot of times you're looking at like, was this a pathological response or not? And most of the time with, um, you know, concussion patients, they may have the pathological response, but at baseline and when healthy, uh, they, they don't. Oh, Okay, here, it's on VOMS. Okay, here we go. So VOMS uh, is, is the vestibular ocular motor screen for those people that aren't in the health uh, space or don't know anything about concussions necessarily. Uh, the vestibular ocular motor screen is um, kind of a, a, a set of tests. And 
and what what we're looking for is the provocation of symptoms or an abnormal response so if we're going to do let's say i'm i have the person stare at a piece of paper and turn their head side to side while keeping their eyes uh fixated on this you know piece of paper and i'm looking to see does that increase your symptoms and if so then that helps to guide some of the rehab and treatment that i might provide for them now the issue with doing bombs as a baseline is that the majority of people are not going to have symptom provocation so what are you looking for you're looking at okay well i get them to do this does that make you feel worse well no okay well i get you to do this does that make you feel worse well no so doing it as a baseline, I think, is not really going to be a good use of anyone's time. Uh, you're going to run them through that, and you're going to get you know, 99 out of 100 normal. And you're going to get one odd one that may show some you know, increase in symptoms for whatever reason. But uh, I think for that level, I don't think it's worth uh, your time to do. I tend to, I tend to um, not do that, but I do that a lot for injuries. If somebody comes in with an injury and they don't have a baseline, Sometimes you can utilize your VOMS as a potential diagnostic tool. So if somebody comes in off the street and they're going, I think I have a concussion, but I'm not really sure, and uh, you don't have a baseline on them, you might be able to say, okay, well, let's run you through this. And if that starts provoking symptoms and you have any more than a two or more point increase, uh, that, that increases the likelihood of them actually having a, a concussion. So it can be a useful tool uh, in place of other things. But I think that if you're going to pick a baseline, I would I would go with something um, a little better. Cool. I want so we have only a little bit of time left uh, until Instagram kicks us off. But I, I do want to touch on one more subject. Uh, and I think this one a lot of people have seen the movie with uh, you know starring Will Smith called Concussion, uh, and they talk about uh, CTE, which you know is this big popular thing. We talked a bit on the long term stuff, um, but what is CTE? Is it a what's your thoughts on it? Well, your guess is as good as mine. Right now, we don't, we don't know a lot about CTE. I mean, it's thought uh, that it comes from repetitive head trauma and, and concussions. But in fact, we don't have any type of causative real link between um, uh, concussion and, and, and CTE. So really what we have is it's speculation, I think, at this point. Uh, there's still there's a lot of research that's ongoing, and, um, and I think there's still a lot that needs to be done. And I think that <laughs> right now, I think the media has gotten a hold of this a little bit prematurely, and so you have a lot of people that are really, really worried about their own situation. And you have people that are – and I, I'm the one who sees, you know, a lot of these professional athletes that – are are scared they they believe that they have this and and i think that we need to uh provide more education to patients to to let them understand that you know what like there's a lot of things that can make you feel a little bit foggy there's a lot of things that that make you feel a little bit forgetful and there's a lot of people that just are plain forgetful and and but they'll attribute that to memory impairment right you'll have people coming in saying like well i I misplaced my cell phone and whatever, and they'll think that, oh my God, here it is. That's my CTE. I've had a couple of concussions when I was, you know, younger and all this stuff. And so, I think that just by educating them, saying like, look, I forget my cell phone, and I think <laughs> one of the stories yeah. that I've been I've been telling recently, I put the milk in the cupboard above the fridge <laughs> like two weeks ago, and I left it there. I didn't find it till the morning, and I was like, Ooh. oh my God, like 
just, you know what I mean? Like when you're just doing things and you forget, right? But in my mind, I just go, well, that was stupid. I don't know why I did that. I must've been thinking about something else. But in their mind, in the, in the, somebody who's had a few concussions and is hearing all this crap about CTE, they start thinking, oh, that's it. That's my CTE, right? And so I think that we really need to kind of take a pause on this. And, uh, you know, patience, if you're listening right now, um, I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of unknowns out there. Um, you're actually less likely to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's if you played in the NFL. You're less likely to be diagnosed with depression if you played in the NFL. Uh, there's a wow. lot of this type of stuff. But the media would have you believe com something completely different than that, right? But the patient doesn't have the ability to go and scrutinize the literature, right? That's up to us. And that's what we're doing right now. And that's why you get all these these people saying, well, the, you know, the NFL is hiding this research and whatever, but no, it's out there. It's public access. It's just not any good. That's the yeah. issue. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy what's going on in the concussion space. And it sounds like uh, the media is doing a lot to screw it up as they typically do in, in most <laughs> other things. <laughs> oh man, you have, it's just, it's a nightmare because I get all these questions from people coming in. I'm like, Oh my God. Like studies talking about the prevalence of suicide in, in people with concussion. It's like when you actually look at it, the, the biggest link was, was um, people having a previous suicide attempt, not concussion. So it's like, why do you publish that study? So the headline is concussions increase risk of suicide. Yet when you actually read the study, the highest link was, was looking at, you know, well, the if they had a previous suicide attempt, that was the most. And it's like, okay, Jesus. That's that <laughs> makes no you know, sense. It's it's just it's fear mongering, right? Because they know that anything with the concussion and anything with a catchy t title is going to get clicked on yeah, because people yeah. are interested in this and people are afraid. And unfortunately, it's it's the patients that suffer because they don't have the ability. And the problem is they go to their healthcare practitioner and that healthcare practitioner probably saw the same 60 minutes episode and and hasn't um, taken a good look at the literature themselves. And they go, oh, yeah. And then now you have the patient and the doctor both thinking, oh, there's something really wrong with you. And you need somebody who knows what they're talking about to be like, hold the f on, right? <laughs> we need to slow yeah. down here. Yeah. So anyone, instead of listening to the media, my suggestion is this. Check out Concussion Doc's page because he posts some unbelievable stuff every day teaching what's actually going on. Um, or check out his company's page, Complete Concussions. Um, they do the same, a bunch of good concussion information. For those listening on the podcast, I'll put the links um, in uh, in the show notes as well. Um, how much? How much time we have? We've got four minutes. All right. Well, I got this. This guy here says many of my many friends of mine never previous before killing themselves. So again, suicide is very multifactorial. So I don't want to seem insensitive to the topic, right? And I think mm -hmm. that that's like that, that's I think the issue, right? What, if you look at the actual data and the actual stats. If you've played in the NFL, you have a, a, a much less likelihood of committing suicide than if you're a member of the general population. Okay, so, so just because you played professional sports or just because you had a couple of concussions doesn't mean that's the cause of committing suicide, right? A lot of times there's other issues that, that are going on behind the scenes, right? A lot of people, a lot of people not a lot of people, but people commit suicide even that have never had concussions before. So yeah. there's mental health issues. There's, there's a lot of other things that go into to the life of a professional athlete, you know, beyond, beyond sports 
that I think we need, we're, everyone's blaming concussion because we all want something to blame. We don't want to admit that, that mental health is a possibility or that somebody may have been suffering from, from depression or something like that. We want to believe that it's something else or something that could have been prevented had we have not let them play this sport. But unfortunately, we don't know that. And unfortunately, the data doesn't support that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to throw you on the, I'm going to throw you out here. If, if, if you had a take home point about concussion that you want to share, what would it be? Recovery. 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 It's all about recovery. I think that's one thing we need to have in mind for young athletes, old athletes, everything in between. We have to make sure we're recovering from the concussion and not just based on symptoms. If it's just your symptoms going away, that is not recovery. You need to have recovered your balance, your reaction time, your memory, everything before you're returning to sport. And I think that's one thing. Uh, it can help with the long-term effects. It can help with the acute effects. And I think that's where we're really missing the ball in both professional and amateur youth sport. Perfect. That's, uh, that's exactly what I think I wanted to hear. <laughs> it's getting uh, right. pretty dark over there, right? I know. I know. <laughs> the bugs haven't got out yet, so I'm okay. Okay, good. Well, listen, Cam, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show here. Uh, you know, some really, really interesting stuff, some eye-opening stuff. Um, so hopefully the listeners uh, enjoyed that as well. There was a lot of comments, so I'm sure they did. But uh, thank you again for, for coming on, and thank you for everything that you're doing. Uh, for anyone who wants to see um, Complete Concussion Management on their website, I'll, I'll make sure to put the links in the show notes, um, and you can access the training there. You can access any of the clinics. Uh, basically, everything you need, it'll all be there available for you. Um, to check out. So again, thank you. Thank you. All right, Cam, you have a good night. You too, man. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Simple Show. More importantly, I hope you learned something from it. If you did, leave me a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me.